0: Section 16 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. Report of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders. Kerner Commission Report. Section 16. Chapter 1. Profiles of Disorder Detroit, Part 4, Methodology Jailed at the 10th Precinct Station, sometime Wednesday night, R.R. R. and his two companions were taken from their cell to an alley court, police slaying for an unlawful attempt to make prisoners confess. A police officer, who has resigned from the force, allegedly administered such a severe beating to R.R. that the bruises were still visible two weeks later. R.R.'s 17-year-old brother had his skull cracked open and was thrown back into the cell. He was taken to a hospital only when other arrestees complained that he was bleeding to death. At the preliminary hearing 12 days later, the prosecution presented only one witness, the National Guard captain, who had given the order to fire. The police officer who had signed the original complaint was not asked to take the stand. The charges against all three of the young men were dismissed. Nevertheless, the morning after the original incident, a major metropolitan newspaper in another section of the country composed the following banner story from wire service reports. Detroit, July 27th, Thursday. Two National Guard tanks ripped a sniper's haven with machine guns Wednesday night and flushed out three shaggy-haired white youths snipers attacked a guard command post and detroit's racial riot set a modern record for bloodshed the death toll soared to thirty six topping the watts bloodbath of nineteen sixty six in which thirty five died and making detroit's insurrection the most deadly racial riot in modern u s history in the attack on the sniper's nest, the guardsmen poured hundreds of rounds of 50 caliber machine gun fire into the home, which authorities said housed arms and ammunition used by west side sniper squads. Guardsmen recovered guns and ammunition. A reporter with the troopers said the house, a neat brick home in a neighborhood of 20000 to $50,000 homes, was torn apart by the machine gun and rifle fire sniper fire crackled from the home as the guard unit approached it was one of the first verified reports of sniping by whites a pile of loot taken from riot ruined stores was recovered from the sniper's haven located ten blocks from the heart of the two hundred square block riot zone guardsmen said the house had been identified as a storehouse of arms and ammunitions for snipers its arsenal was regarded as an indication that the sniping or at least some of it was organized as hundreds of arrestees were brought into the tenth precinct station officers took it upon themselves to carry on investigations and to attempt to extract confessions dozens of charges of police brutality emanated from the station as prisoners were brought in uninjured but later had to be taken to the hospital In the absence of the precinct commander who had transferred his headquarters to the riot command post at a nearby hospital, discipline vanished. Prisoners who requested that they be permitted to notify someone of their arrest were almost invariably told that the telephones are out of order. Congressman Conyers and State Representative Del Rio, who went to the station, hoping to coordinate with the police the establishing of a community patrol, were so upset by what they saw that they changed their minds and gave up on the project. A young woman, brought into the station, was told to strip. After she had done so, and while an officer took pictures with a Polaroid camera, another officer came up to her and began fondling her. The negative of one of the pictures, fished out of a wastebasket, subsequently was turned over to the mayor's office. Citing the sniper danger, officers throughout the department had taken off their bright metal badges. They also had taped over the license plates and the numbers of the police cars. Identification of individual officers became virtually impossible on a number of occasions officers fired at fleeting looters then made little attempt to determine whether their shots had hit anyone later some of the persons were discovered dead or injured in the street in one such case police and national guardsmen were interrogating a youth suspected of arson when according to officers he attempted to escape as he vaulted over the hood of an automobile the officer fired his shotgun the youth disappeared on the other side of the car without making an investigation the officers and guardsmen returned to their car and drove off when nearby residents called police another squad car arrived to pick up the body despite the fact that an autopsy disclosed the youth had been killed by five shotgun pellets Only a cursory investigation was made, and the death was attributed to sniper fire. No police officer at the scene during the shooting filed a report. Not until a Detroit newspaper editor presented to the police the statements of several witnesses claiming that the youth had been shot by police after he had been told to run did the department launch an investigation not until three weeks after the shooting did an officer come forward to identify himself as the one who had fired the fatal shot citing conflicts in the testimony of the score of witnesses the detroit prosecutor's office declined to press charges prosecution is proceeding in the case of three youths in whose shotgun deaths law enforcement personnel were implicated following a report that snipers were firing from the algiers motel in fact there is little evidence that anyone fired from inside the building two witnesses say that they had seen a man standing outside of the motel fire two shots from a rifle The interrogation of other persons revealed that law enforcement personnel then shot out one or more streetlights. Police patrols responded to the shots. An attack was launched on the motel. The picture is further complicated by the fact that this incident occurred at roughly the same time that the National Guard was directing fire at the apartment house in which Tanya Blanding was killed the apartment house was only six blocks distant from and in direct line with the motel the killings occurred when officers began on the spot questioning of the occupants of the motel in an effort to discover weapons used in the sniping several of those questioned reportedly were beaten One was a Negro ex-paratrooper who had only recently been honorably discharged and had gone to Detroit to look for a job. Although by late Tuesday looting and firebombing had virtually ceased, between 7 and 11 p.m. that night there were 444 reports of incidents. Most were reports of sniper fire. During the daylight hours of July 26th, there were five hundred and thirty-four such reports between eight thirty and eleven p m there were two hundred and fifty-five as they proliferated the pressure on law enforcement officers to uncover the snipers became intense homes were broken into searches were made on the flimsiest of tips a detroit newspaper headline aptly proclaimed everyone's suspect in no man's land. Before the arrest of a young woman IBM operator in the city assessor's office brought attention to the situation on Friday, July 28th, any person with a gun in his home was liable to be picked up as a suspect. Of the 27 persons charged with sniping, 22 had charges against them dismissed at preliminary hearings, and the charges against two others were dismissed later. One pleaded guilty to possession of an unregistered gun and was given a suspended sentence. Trials of two are pending. In all, more than 7,200 persons were arrested. Almost 3,000 of these were picked up on the second day of the riot, and by midnight Monday 4,000 were incarcerated in makeshift jails some were kept as long as thirty hours on buses others spent days in an underground garage without toilet facilities an uncounted number were people who had merely been unfortunate enough to be on the wrong street at the wrong time included were members of the press whose attempts to show their credentials had been ignored released later they were chided for not having exhibited their identification at the time of their arrests the booking system proved incapable of adequately handling the large number of arrestees people became lost for days in the maze of different detention facilities until the later stages bail was set deliberately high often at ten thousand dollars or more When it became apparent that this policy was unrealistic and unworkable, the prosecutor's office began releasing on low bail or on their own recognizance hundreds of those who had been picked up. Nevertheless, this fact was not publicized for fear of antagonizing those who had demanded a high bail policy. Of the forty-three persons who were killed during the riot, thirty-three were Negro and ten were white. Seventeen were looters, of whom two were white. Fifteen citizens, of whom four were white. One white National Guardsman, one white fireman, and one Negro private guard died as the result of gunshot wounds. Most of these deaths appear to have been accidental. But criminal homicide is suspected in some. Two persons, including one fireman, died as a result of fallen power lines. Two were burned to death. One was a drunken gunman. One, an arson suspect. One white man was killed by a rioter. One police officer was felled by a shotgun blast when a gun, in the hands of another officer, ACCIDENTALLY DISCHARGED DURING A SCUFFLE WITH A LOOTER ACTION BY POLICE OFFICERS ACCOUNTED FOR TWENTY AND VERY LIKELY TWENTY-ONE OF THE DEATHS ACTION BY THE NATIONAL GUARD FOR SEVEN AND VERY LIKELY NINE ACTION BY THE ARMY FOR ONE TWO DEATHS WERE THE RESULT OF ACTION BY STORE OWNERS FOUR PERSONS DIED ACCIDENTALLY Rioters were responsible for two and perhaps three of the deaths. A private guard for one. A white man is suspected of murdering a Negro youth. The perpetrator of one of the killings in the Algiers Motel remains unknown. Damage estimates, originally set as high as $500 million, were quickly scaled down. The city assessor's office placed the loss excluding business stock, private furnishings, and the buildings of churches and charitable institutions, at approximately $22 million. Insurance payments, according to the State Insurance Bureau, will come to about $32 million, representing an estimated 65 to 75% of the total loss. By Thursday, July twenty-seventh, most riot activity had ended. The paratroopers were removed from the city on Saturday. On Tuesday, August 1st, the curfew was lifted and the National Guard moved out. Methodology Profiles of Disorder Construction of the profiles of disorder began with surveys by field teams in 23 cities. From an analysis of the documents compiled and field interviews, 10 of the 23 a fair cross-section of the cities were chosen for intensive further investigation a special investigating group was dispatched to each city under study to conduct in-depth interviews of persons previously questioned and others that had come to our attention as a result of the analysis additional documents were obtained in the process of acquisition analysis, and distillation of information, the special investigating group made several trips to each city. In the meantime, the regular field teams continued to conduct their surveys and report additional information. The approximately 1,200 persons interviewed represent a cross-section of officials, observers, and participants involved in the riot process from mayors, police chiefs, and army officers, to black power advocates and rioters. Experts in diverse fields, such as taxation, firefighting, and psychology, were consulted. Testimony presented to the commission in closed hearings was incorporated. Many official documents were used in compiling chronologies and corroborating statements made by witnesses. These included, but were not limited to, police department and other law enforcement agencies after-action reports, logs, incident reports, injury reports, and reports of homicide investigations, after-action reports of U.S. Army and National Guard units, FBI reports, fire department logs and reports, and reports from prosecutors, offices, and other investigating agencies. About 1,500 pages of depositions were taken from 90 witnesses to substantiate each of the principal items in the profiles. Since some information was supplied to the Commission on a confidential basis, a fully annotated, footnoted copy of the profiles cannot be made public at this time. But will be deposited in the archives of the United States. End of section sixteen.